concern themselves with the very primary needs of society, really. The most important entrepreneurs among us, I believe. <laughs> but of course, I'm biased. We want to understand how they view the world, what they do, and how they go about doing it. But of course, more importantly, we want to understand how we can be of service to them. Because we back entrepreneurs. I'm an agri-food ecosystem developer, founder of Foodmakers Africa, and impact maker at Future Agro Challenge in South Africa. Today we speak with David Davies, the founder of AdUnity, which is a multi-award winning philanthropic venture that applies blockchain and smartphone technology to improve the lives of small farmer cooperatives in developing countries. They do this by enabling last mile delivery of services and more specifically financial services to marginalize subsistence farming communities. So David, I reached out because of course I believe you're doing incredible things for financial inclusion for farmers and I was really keen for you to be part of this initiative. The whole idea behind um, We Back Agripreneurs is so that we can highlight the stories of agripreneurs like yourself um, who are making an impact in their communities and of course across Africa and to really see how we as a community can support um, agripreneurs in their businesses. And of course, being where we are, it is really more important to view the whole agri-food innovation ecosystem from the lens of small-scale farmers. I do believe um, that uh, agriculture is a huge opportunity for us in Africa, and if we're going to be successful in realizing that opportunity, then it's absolutely critical that small scale and subsistence farmers have, um, or at least rather get included in um, major value chains. So that's generally the context of what we're trying to achieve here. Yeah, look, what you're doing is filling an absolutely essential gap. Um, and it's it's a brilliant initiative as, as far as we're concerned. There should be a lot more pushing the small farmer and the small initiative um, because mm -hmm. they do make up so much of the world population and, and they really have mm -hmm. been largely forgotten in a lot of instances. Yeah, true indeed, true indeed. Thank you so much. So perhaps we can start right from the beginning then, David, if you don't mind. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and how this whole entrepreneurship journey started with you. Sure. Okay. So I have a very mixed background. I grew up on a wheat and sheep farm um, in remote uh, outback South Australia, but I really worked most of my life in technology. Um, Although there was one, there was one year I worked in a UNESCO. I ran a UNESCO project in West Africa, so I spent a year doing that, and that that comes back to the story a bit later. But then, after that, I, I ended up um, in Japan working for very large investment banking. Um, I was very senior level in in some of those, and in sort of before and after 
um, working in banking, mm -hmm. I had two startups companies, one in the very early mobile technology in Japan, um, and then another one in Singapore that did um, uh, allocation of cost for banking. So we, we'd exited the second business and um, had Unity started totally by accident because we happened to get um, invited to a, a conference in London and I sent my co-founder along, John, and, and he the, literally arrived bags in hand off a flight from China, uh, went to pick up his pass, found out there was a hackathon on the weekend and he entered the hackathon mm -hmm. to have something to do over the weekend. And then he, he calls me up. I was in Australia at the time. And he says, look, you know, there's a prize from Singularity University. And for anyone that doesn't know, Singularity University is like a think tank that I, I've often held in awe. And so he knew we'd be really interested in, in bidding for that. So mm. what we did is we tried to come up with the biggest, most world-changing idea we could, you know, in line with Singularity's model. And, and that was really the origin of AgUnity. Um, it, it rested on three things um, that, you know, mobile technology was becoming ubiquitous in, in the, even in the very low air income areas that farmers needed to cooperate and collaborate more. And that is something I'd picked up when I'd worked for UNESCO in Africa. Um, the, the contrasting difference was, you know, in, even in Australia with, you know, 10,000 plus acre farms, we rely on cooperatives and farmers associations um, and, you know, wool boards and things to protect our prices and to make sure the farmers aren't exploited. When you look at the same situation for small farmers in Africa, they lacked the ability to cooperate. Um, and then we also, in, you know, and, and um, although blockchain isn't essential, it played another key role in that we were creating a decentralized um, way of recording transactions. And, and that's at the end of the day, what AgUnity is. It's um, right. like the simplest ever accounting system. But in order to get that to farmers, we actually give them phones. So we get a, a, the moment we're getting um, quite cheap, $50 US, 50 US dollar waterproof, they're really good phones. They're like IP68 waterproof phones. We get them out of China in bulk for about $50. And we replace mm -hmm. the operating system with our own version of Android. Um, so we clean up the phones and then it has a super app on it. And the whole idea is it makes the phone simple and usable for a farmer that may have never had any technology before. So we give these to 60 year old farmers in the Highland of New Guinea. And within a few minutes, they get the basic functions because it's got big geometric shapes, primary colors, you know, you press the orange triangle when you're handing over a crop. So the whole key is we, we take you know, a normal phone and we make it usable and relevant to what they do every day. And the benefits don't really come from that the benefits come from the fact that because the farmers can record transactions and do transactions without having to get cash on the spot, they can trust and cooperate more. So we allow them to create, you know, cooperatives and farmers associations and work with buyers in a more trusted way. And the trust is what really gives them the benefits. So, you know, in, in, in a kind of strange way, we don't really do anything, although, in a number of cases, we've had the farmers triple their income in a single season just because wow. they can, just because they can record transactions. So suddenly they're not, you know, using coca beans as the example in Papua New Guinea. Previously, the farmers had, you know, sometimes they'd, ha they'd harvest some beans, they'd have them in the bag as wet beans, 
and no one would come along to buy them. Or if someone did turn up, they would try to like, I'll pay you later and they wouldn't hand them over or they'd offer them such a low price. It was no good. And what happened is so often those beans would just rot beside the road. They'd never get processed at all. Now the farmer can use the app to say, I've got some beans. I'm going to harvest on Wednesday. So the, the cooperative or the buyers can make sure they come and collect them in a timely manner. They can, hand them over without having to give the farmer a cash. A lot of our farmers in New Guinea in particular are women and they have a real problem with bringing cash home. Um, one, they might be robbed on the way, but also when they do bring the money home, it's like an open invitation to have a party. Um, and so they really appreciate that they can hand their beans into the cooperative and they can take like, you know, 20 or 50 keener out at a time so they're not bringing large amounts so they they actually started treating the cooperatives like a, a de facto bank which was really interesting behavior so yeah we've had great results and mm, yeah. right right so how does the um how does the i suppose the better word is engagement or transaction if you would like how does it happen initially then does does the cooperative get created as a result of farmers having taken up the solution or um, I don't know, do, do you kind of market the device to farmers and then once they have it, you connect them to some other cooperatives or how, how, how does it all happen? Yeah. So we, we, we kind of work in many different ways regarding that. Um, in the first instance in Kenya, um, they'd actually had a wheat farmers cooperative twice before, but it had fallen apart just for the same reasons that, that we were solving, that you know, farmers didn't trust, they weren't all sure they were getting the right prices, it wasn't well organised. So as soon as we put in the system, that cooperative basically reformed and then a lot of other farmers joined the same cooperative. So we, we knew from that one that the cooperative model worked very well. Now in Medang, which is in Papua New Guinea, the it's not a cooperative, it's more of a buyer, but the buyer actually is a, a wealthy businessman from the capital who wanted to come back and help his hometown. And so he tries to buy off farmers at a, a, a fair price and he helps the organization around that. And they hand into his organization um, and he does the fermenting and drying. And by giving the, um, the phones to all the farmers, he could expand that network and deal with them a lot more efficiently. So his cooperative has substantially increased in size as a result of this. And, and we work on all variety of manners. So in you know, Sierra Leone, we were working with a very good cooperative um, and we just make them more efficient. In other cases, we have to actually form the cooperative. So it, we don't really, we don't distinguish as that. Um, usually what happens, one of the unique things is we found that, uh, this is just really interesting, there's, there's like thousands of companies that give phones to farmers, or sorry, give um, or provide applications to farmers. Um, okay. The problem is it's really, really hard and costly to support um, getting farmers on it into on any sort of a downloadable app, because as we found in Kenya, they'll get all sorts of phones, getting them installed is a problem. We've spoken to many banks that have this exact problem, that they just can't keep the platform well installed. So that's why we decided to go with a different thing. We, we found that it's it's cheaper and easier just to give them the phone. Um, all installed, right. all set up, all locked down to their identity. 
we can remote manage the phone so we can upgrade the apps, we can put new applications onto the phone remotely. So we don't need the farmer. Um, we don't need, we, ma we make it so much simpler for the farmer. And what that usually means is someone needs to sponsor the initial project. So, you know, like in Ethiopia, that's World Food Programme. And they've already been trying to work on lifting coffee farmer incomes across Ethiopia. And they found that they had very little visibility on what their programs were really doing to the farmers at impact level. And when they were getting that information, it was months old and not real time. So they had a real incentive to want to collaborate with us. So they paid for the phones in this initial cooperative. And then what happened is once that project is finished, because their farmers were getting a much better deal and everything was running much smoother, other farmers wanted to join the same process and they would buy their own phones. So in almost every case, we work with a partner company who supplies the initial hundred or so farms. And then we have a model where it grows organically from there. So how big is the initial cooperative generally? And do you look for it to grow indefinitely? Yeah, well, we, there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting bit of psychology around this. We, we found that anywhere between 50 and 200 is the ideal unit size of a cooperative because if a community of about 50 to 200, so around about 100, more or less everyone knows each other. And so there's a lot of natural trust right. and cooperation in that level, that unit. And that also, on most places of the world, that constitutes a, one or two villages. Um, so we try to work of one unit of a cooperative to be about that big. And then what we do is when we want to expand, we create a new sort of seedling cooperative that connects to that one. And then we expand that up to about the same size. And if then one, if it gets bigger, we break it up into a couple. So they're more local and, and we try to advise people to keep the units at around about this hundred um, farmer size. We find that mm, works. Right. How do you well. go about developing the initial trust factor though? I mean, we know particularly in relation to development projects that there's somewhat of a trust deficit that has developed over many years of not so successful projects and, you know, people not really achieving what they had set out to. Where does that initial trust come from? Is it from the relationship with whomever is paying for the phones initially? Yeah, look, we, we don't have trouble getting the farmers on board because these, you know, they're okay. $50 phones, but they're... Um, probably the best way they're about equivalent of an iphone 7 in functionality so they're a big screen yeah. <laughs> the farmers get them for free so you can imagine they think it's christmas and in a country yeah. like Ethiopia, even though we're paying 50 dollars for the phone those farmers equate those phones as to being worth more than 200 dollars. so even when they have to pay for the phones to join they think they're getting the best deal ever um mm. so their loyalty to the program is is virtually assured that that's a, a really solid thing and the trust really comes from and this is interesting because when i explain this to a western audience i often have to say it like a couple of times we've kind of we as in um western farmers you know where i grew up we've become so accustomed to the concepts of trust and record keeping and and policing of of agreements that we forgot how important those things are. Um, and when in a developing nation like Papua New Guinea, um, because they've got no, you know, a lot of the farmers can't read very well. So getting a paper receipt for something is, is next to no good. If they have to enforce an agreement 
it's unlikely to be enforced. You, you normally have to pay the police to enforce it and it's going to cost you more if you're a farmer than, than what you're enforcing. Um, so the big gap that we fill is just this very basic record, you know, recording what's happened in a way that no one can ever change. Um, and it, it, in that respect, it's, it's kind of the perfect, although probably the simplest ever use of blockchain. Um, mm -hmm. Just a place where you can, you know, I can hand over my coca beans to you and neither of us can ever say that didn't happen or we can never quibble about the value. Uh, so the, the amount that it was. And mm -hmm. that is so vitally important because once that happens, we see the farmers, they don't haggle or anymore. It, it kind of stops the haggling. It's an, it's an, there's an interesting behavior, but we also saw in a couple of situations after the farmers had clear records on our system, they started to become inherently more honest and trustworthy about things that we, even we weren't recording. Um, so there's an interesting psychological element there that once you introduce that base level of trust, everyone knows what's what and everyone is more likely to just act in, a, in an honest and collaborative way. And that's really where the gains all come from. You know, that if, once you get farmers together, they, you know, again, I, I often say this when I'm presenting, we, we should never think that just because someone has grown up in a developing area that they're less intelligent. They're not less intelligent. They just had less opportunity. So we see some, Absolutely. we see many farmers that, you know, if they were born in Australia, they'd be a doctor or a investment banker or something. Um, and they would just, it's just their lot in life. So when they get this opportunity, not only are they, do they pounce on it, oh, I'm making the most of it, but they're also very capable of solving a lot of their own problems. Um, mm -hmm. They just couldn't do it individually when they were continually struggling for their existence. Once they get a little bit of a break and they can collaborate with a group of others, they can work out how to order seedlings as a group. They can work out how to you know, market their product better to increase the, the value of their product. They're, they're actually surprisingly good at knowing what their opportunities are it's just very difficult for one to do that. So once you create the group and then the group, you know, um, leaders will appear. They always do everywhere we've been. Um, and those ones will sort of drive the improvement of income. And because it's all transparent, farmers know who's getting a good benefit, who's getting a better price for their coca beans. They'll all inspire to be like that because it's suddenly transparent before it was before when it was very opaque, farmers weren't sure why another one would be getting a better price. And so they'd always be conspiring and it was some deal going on. Now that they can see that the buyer actually paid more for these farmers, they'll go and ask those farmers what they're doing. Why are your coca beans better? And it comes to something like the drying process or something. So you, you get a lot more collaborative action once you have transparency, trust and, you know, basic records. And, and it's so interesting that, we work with a lot of NGOs that are working on much larger initiatives and yet they haven't resolved this basic fundamental of get the farmers working together, get them to trust each other, give them basic functions. And sometimes some of the bigger things are solved them themselves. Yes, absolutely. Are the functions that simple to use though? I mean, if we are thinking of a smartphone that's the caliber of an iPhone, 
I mean, is it really that basic for farmers to use? The, the one critique we can think of for agritech, particularly aimed at subsistence farmers, is that it's just too complicated for them to use. It's not technology they're very familiar with and things like that. Yeah, so that's what we had to do. So we spent, on our first version in Kenya, we had at least 12 iterations of the user interface design. Um, because one of the other challenges is when you come introducing a technology like this to people who have never had it before, they can't tell you, and even if they could, they wouldn't, tell you what's wrong with it. So you really can't get user feedback like you would in a normal situation. So what you had to do is put it in front of them and then very closely observe what they were doing. And so mm -hmm. this is why we've eventually modified the whole operating system so that it boots up into our application and there's only six things on the screen. It's like, oh. I'm going to get some money out. I'm going to hand over my crop. I'm going to get something from the marketplace very simple and then each screen in the application only does only kind of ask them one question at a time so it's very unlike you know if we were ordering an uber we'd say i'm here i want to go there and i want this sort of car and i want it right away mm -hmm, mm -hmm, when we okay. do that for a farmer that's never had a phone before we do that as four steps and that way okay. They don't have too much to consider and, you know, very big print and almost entirely done with icons and symbols. Like there are, there is text in our application and it changes languages, but we, we don't rely on that. We rely on teaching them. This is the orange triangle. That's what you press when you want to get money out. And, you know, again, they, they might not be literate, but they're generally just as intelligent as people anywhere else. And so, you know, very right. quickly pick up, you know, orange triangle, this is the amount I want to take out. And then another very important thing we had to do is there's, as you can imagine, there's communication challenge, like connectivity challenges in very remote areas. And probably the more prevalent issue is farmers just don't always have the cash to top up their data plans. And, and sometimes they do, and then they overuse Facebook and they run it out. So you can't rely on them being able to access data on the phones. So we've built the phone so they communicate using QR codes with each other. Um, we can actually do it. With right. But the QR codes are much better because it gives the farmers a sense that they're transferring something back and forward. So most right. of our transactions right. occur offline. Um, and we've got situations where we've seen that you know, we, it, when you do a transaction, say I'm handing coca beans over to you, we both have a phone, we do a transaction back and forth, and we've both got two sides of the same transaction recorded. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe mm -hmm. I'm a farmer and I never know, I never top up my data plan. We have situations where we're, we're seeing the cooperative side of the transaction and we, we see the farmer handing over coca beans and we see them taking money out, but we've never actually seen the farmer online and the whole system works perfectly. Because they've never topped up, yeah. Yeah, we, the whole system works perfectly well if the farmer never gets online. Um, like we, we can rely on the other side of the transaction. So that's another very important thing we do to make the phones functional. Um, and then because we kind of took over the operating system, we put all their transactions in kind of a message queue. So mm -hmm. when they do get a bit of signal, even if it's only one bar, we'll keep trying to send that first message until we get an acknowledgement back. And then we'll clear that one out and start sending the next one. So 
we can deal with situations where, you know, three o'clock in the morning, they get one bar of signal for, you know, for an hour or so and, and they'll, and the system will flush all the transactions there using very minimal amounts of data. So it's, it's all being designed around the usability and the, the situations that particularly low income farmers need to work with which is what makes it distinct right. from a normal phone, right? You know, normal phones are really optimised for people like us. Mm. Mm. Okay, that makes absolute sense, yeah. So, I mean, generally, um, I suppose it's a question that really answers itself, but generally these are single commodity groups, aren't they? Yeah, so we, during the, uh, before, this kind of a before and after um, the pandemic situation here, um, before the pandemic, we worked predominantly with commodity farmers like uh, coca and coffee, uh, looking at honey and tagging fish and other things, but predominantly things they're selling. And my observation has been, usually the farmers are fairly well, they, they deal with the situation for their, the food that they eat and they trade in the local market fairly well. That, that all kind of works. Their problem is they, they need income and mm -hmm. it's, it's their cash crop that we find you've got to focus on. Um, and so that's what we focused on right up until the pandemic. Um, and then, then when COVID came about, because um, we deal in all these regions, we've, we've been very cognizant of um, infectious diseases because we, Oh, sorry. One of the things I should mention is we spend an exorbitant amount of time out in the field with the farmers. Uh, we have teams that go right. out and deploy them and train them. We all, including myself, spend a lot of time actually visiting the sites and making sure we understand them to build up the trust. Um, so, of course, we're very cognizant of diseases. We were, um, I was quite close to the Ebola outbreak in, in West Africa, um, 2000. Sure. So, so, yeah, we're... You know, we, we have these things on our minds, so to speak. Um, and so when COVID first came out, because it was China and because we'd all experienced SARS, we, we very early on saw what it was likely to become. And we started um, adapting our company to deal with what, to think about what we could do in a COVID scenario. And mm -hmm. a lot of that is just so that we've got, governments that are just coming on board with that now, actually. Um, what we identified was that the biggest concern I have is if you're a small developing nation, uh, so much of your food supply goes through very informal farmers markets. And those are the most, they're the biggest, most crowded locations. They're also where people from the very small villages come to sell uh, their goods and potentially take a virus back yeah. So when we started to talk about lockdowns and the pandemic, our first reaction was, you know, how are you going to deal with markets? Because if you shut them down, the whole food supply stops, the farmers don't earn money and the um, people in the urban areas, there's, there's not enough food moving around. And we, we, already, food, yeah. we already know that in a couple of countries. So we started to create, we, we created a separate sub entity called AgUnity Response. And we've adapted our solution to basically make a way that um, a country can shut down the markets, give phones to the farmers, 
and the farmers can still signal that they've got something, you know, produce to pick up, and then we can go and pick that up in a sanitized, you know, a more sanitized way, and get it into an urban centre. Right. So, we've um, circulated this concept in five countries now. Um, we were just uh, on national television in New Guinea um, with the deputy prime minister, and he's agreed to deploy it in his district first. And ideally, this will become a national program in New Guinea so they can um, digitise most of their um, primary producers and have a means for them to you know, ha either have goods collected or, or deliver goods in a more dry, you know, it, it's in a plastic bin and it will sterilise the outside, it will drop it off and will um, not risk infection in markets. So there's a few scenarios we're working on there, but it's... Uh, uh, very promising and we're looking to do this. We've got discussions going in two countries in Africa, one in South America mm -hmm. and it, as well as Papua New Guinea, one, one place in Southeast Asia as well. So I think we can play, you know, a small but possibly significant role in, in helping the, um, some of the, the least fortunate nature nations to, um, deal with the pandemic a bit better because because otherwise they're just faced with this horrible dilemma like you shut down the markets and maybe you're starving people if you don't shut mm -hmm. down the markets then the disease just runs rampant. and COVID is killing them yeah 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 so it's yeah. like if we can come up with any middle way and one of the great discussions with Papua New Guinea government is that look this it might cost a bit to roll out now but it's really good for showing your population you're doing something, you're preparing. But really, in the mm -hmm. long term, it's going to do so much for the resilience of your agricultural supply chain. Like, it's a long-term investment in improving agriculture in general. And yeah. it's quick yeah. to do with time. So it's got a double benefit. It was really good to see how well the New Guinea government responded to that. I'm quite... Um, we've dealt with a lot of governments in the past, and I'm, I'm just blown away at how... Um, progressive and, and, and quick acting they were. So, you know, huge um, respect for New Guinea government in this instance, um, that they're, they're really looking to do something good. And, and hopefully we'll see a few more other governments being proactive about, you know, you, you can't, this is a horrible situation that we're facing with the pandemic. You're not going to be able to avoid the death, but you at least should be minimising it as much as, your capability allows and, and this is one means that that can happen right right absolutely okay so from what i gather then from what you've said is that ag unity is essentially a platform that facilitates the transaction so like the exchange of produce for money or the withdrawal of money or that type of transaction what other solutions can be loaded on the device or or shall i say platform so that's the whole key. We start with the fact that it's a basic, you know, again, it, it's sort of like your zero or QuickBooks or whatever, but it's just made for the farmer. So really what it is, is a record keeping system or accounting system. But right. because we control the platform, we can then put all manner of other applications. So we've got, um, actually, very interesting. I did an interview with uh, Dr. John Campbell just uh, a week ago. Um, who's a very mm -hmm. prominent nurse teacher in UK. Um, and he would like us to put, he's done years of training videos for nurses and, and, and health. And he's going to make mm -hmm. those available so we can have them 
distributed through the phones, which is, you know, just wow. a fantastic enhancement to our education. It's all free. Um, we can, of course, do trading and um, on the on the banking and finance. There's a really important aspect. Um, a lot of the farmers can't get loans or insurance, not because no one would offer them, but just because there's not enough information to validate them. So, you know, Absolutely, yeah. to give a farmer a loan, you'd have to know, you know, who they are, where their land is, that they've got some regular income. And just by, by way of what we're doing, we're collecting all that. So we've got, um, mm. particularly in Philippines, although it's delayed for the moment, COVID, we, we've got um, projects going with a couple of banks um, where they're rolling out our solution just so they can make farmers loan worthy. So, mm. and then once the farmer becomes loan worthy, we can put their, we can put a micro loan app on for the bank. So again, because we control the platform, once the farmers, you know, in a good state, we can put an app down, we can put a training program or an explanation video that this is what the loan means. This is how you'll pay it back. And thereby, financial institutions for much lower cost can provide micro loans and banking services and insurance and pension systems to people that normally would have never been able to do that in a, in an efficient way. Um, and then finally, we've got a couple of good programs. We're doing one with fair trade. Um, we're doing number one with a very major chocolate company. And these are essentially information and data collection. So fair trade, you know, great organization, but they have a real problem with getting information about what's happening in quick time because they're doing paper-based surveys mm -hmm. on farmers. And by the time it gets in a, an annual report, it's 18 months. I think we can change mm -hmm. that to almost real time and we can update the apps and also oh. gamify it a bit. And the chocolate company wants to do just the same thing. It's really, it's, it's a fascinating concept that, they bought, they're buying the coca beans or the coffee off the farmers and they'll give them a slight premium in price if they complete all the forms. And that's like, what did your kids eat tonight? Did your kids have light to, to study? Um, how far do you have to walk to get the things? What's your income this month? So they can collect all that demographic information, which allows them mm. to further to more accurately address their other investments. So they're having real impact on them on the um, group. So the survey and the data collection, that's another um, important aspects. And again, it's, it's key in the, the way we've designed this, that we can just um, send down, send the farmer an application, send them a notice, here's a video to watch and remind them every day, oh, you know, now you should enter in your, your evening meal data. And by doing that, uh, you get a few extra dollars on the next time you deliver in your, your coffee. Mm -hmm. So incentivizing the whole information sharing scenario, I suppose it's really helpful for benchmarking as a critical component of development finance, isn't it? It's like you say, you have to have rather um, a real-time view of whether or not interventions are having the desired impact. It's a very real problem that we've seen all over. That One of the interesting things is that there's, there's actually tons of, funding available for helping um, last miles, last mile communities as we see it. It just doesn't always get there in the most effective ways and the organisations don't know how to deploy it effectively. And, and I think that's the role we're really trying to play. Just become that middleman between the organisations that want to help last mile communities and the last mile communities. 
because you see organizations right. like I won't mention names because <laughs> it's been embarrassing, but there's one, <laughs> at least a couple of major organizations I know that have spent more money going out to assess the potential of a project than they would have ex spent funding the project. Wow. <laughs> That, that's not an uncommon scenario, uh, unfortunately. And again, if we can give them a group of a thousand farmers in New Guinea and say, look, you know, if you want to do microloans, we can just facilitate. You don't even have to step foot in the country. Um, that just means they can use their funds much more efficiently than going out and trying to connect with the farmers themselves. Mm, and I suppose they have then a direct channel to deliver their financial solution, isn't it? Because the farmer is already interacting with um, the cooperative. Exactly. That's the way we do micro, the way, the way we like to do microloans. We just get a, a sponsoring body to lend money into the cooperative. The cooperative has like a float mm -hmm. of money. If any farmer needs some extra mm -hmm. money, they apply. That company can one click approve it because it's, you know, that's the other, the other problem with loans, you know, getting credit, is probably one of the most important things in, in all of the developing world. Um, and it is because, you know, they have hardships all the time. You know, the cow dies or there's a typhoon or, mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Every couple of years, there's some disaster befalls them. And they're so vulnerable to these types of disasters. Yeah, exactly. If you've got no money, there's no way you can, you know, if you're living hand to mouth already, you're not saving a couple hundred dollars in case your cow dies. Um, mm -hmm. And when it does, there's very, you know, they haven't got any identity. They've got no record of land. They've got no record of income. So there's no way they can lend money. Um, and so they typically go to the loan sharks and, and particularly in Southeast Asia, I think it's the same elsewhere. We see that ultimately the loan sharks are connected to human trafficking and all sorts of other things. So that, you know, that couple of hundred dollars that the farmer needed to borrow for the cow um, the, the daughter gets ends up getting sold into slavery for oh, uh, years later to to pay that because the interest rates are ridiculous and, and you know the the loan sharks are connected to the police so the farmer has no way out of it and and that that's a, a horrible predatory in industry that could be replaced mm. you know could be largely eliminated if if just affordable credit was available and there's plenty of financial institutions that will do it the farmers themselves are generally really good at repaying microloans because, you know, mm -hmm. they, particularly if you do it at a cooperative level. So if you put them float into the cooperative and then if the farmer has unfortunate, he can ask for a $50, $100 loan, the funding organisation can remotely reprove it without ever seeing the farmer. The cooperative can mm -hmm. just give it to them and then take it out of the next couple of harvests. So repayment mm -hmm. is really clear and um, low cost. And the farmers and the cooperative, they so much appreciate that they have access to credit at an affordable level that they treasure it and act like you would expect. Mm -hmm. So it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, like a wonderful, you know, there's wonderful potential for using this as a facilitator for credit and, and cutting off so many of those horrendous predatory practices that all, um, they kind of all rely on the, on the vulnerability of the farmers, which is, is, is just, you know, it's heartbreaking to see. Yeah. And to think um, such a huge problem can be solved with something as simple as uh, transparency, you know, I mean, just being able to record information and have that information available for others to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I mean, I, I often, one of the best videos I've seen this was, it's narrated by Melinda Gates, if anyone wants to find it, and it just talks about the transformation of a, how a phone can be such a transformative thing. So it, it hits on a really thing, that a really simple smartphone is what can allow people in a developing world to catch up, you know, literally catch up to all the things that they've missed out on and gives them access to markets and things. And the only thing mm -hmm. that's not mentioned in that is that an out of the box Android phone is usually not a whole lot of good to a farmer because it's a bit too complicated and, and the things don't connect together. So, you know, even though they might mm -hmm. have a market information app, that's not going to help them get a loan. So the key is mm -hmm. to just make it like, you know, mobile phones changed our world a um, little over 10 years ago. It's, 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 it's ironic to think it's that short a time that the iPhone, you know, isn't that old now. Um, yeah. It's changed it for us. And now I think we're just at the cusp of it changing it for the rest of the world. We just need to make phones so they really do solve their, their highest priority needs first. Mm, that's awesome. So do you have any projects running in South Africa? We've been talking um, to a couple of companies there. Uh, again, we, one of our problems, we'd love to be everywhere. We'd love to be in South Africa. Um, yeah. We've got two partner companies there that um, we've been working on partnerships with for a while. We're just trying to find the right project. We did look at one in, in Luzuthu. Um, and okay. We decided to pass on that one, but we, we're trying to look for another good candidate project in South Africa. We, we just for reference, mm -hmm. we have about... 20 projects in our pipeline at the moment that we've not been able to start just because you know we can only be in so many places where i think we're in um including the fair trade projects we'll be in about mm -hmm. ooh, 14 countries as of july sure. Sure. and that's that's about our limit at the moment mm. and what does that look like typically i mean how do you make a determination if a project is going to be in your pipeline or not? Okay, we have a very unpolitically correct name for our process. It's called the beauty pageant. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a legacy thing. It was a joke at first and it stuck. Um, we actually have multiple criteria. So the impact we can have on the farmers, who the partner organization is, mm -hmm. the ability to expand it, whether it's a commodity we're familiar with, um, the stability of the country, the, you know, that all those factors rate in. And then every month or two months, we look at all our pipeline of projects and we rank them. Um, we rank all the potential ones and we pick the, 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 the couple of two or three best ones. And then we, we do a deep dive into the relationship of those. So that's how we filter it down. Um, as I said, we're just bringing on a, a bunch of new people in business development. So I think we'll probably be able to expand our pipeline to take on a few more new projects at a time um, in the coming months. So hopefully we'll, we'll be have a, a little bit of an acceleration in the number of places we can get to. Um, a good example is not, not from Africa, but a really good example of what a perfect organization would be is mountain hazelnuts in Bhutan. Um, they're a well-funded oh. organization. They're trying to take, create, you know, Bhutan's been sort of cut off country for a long time. They're looking to create a good export industry in Bhutan. They've planted, I think, 6 million hazelnut trees for, with um, 10,000 farmers. 
and they're just coming to mature now. So they need a way to uh, track that and coordinate it all. So we're like the perfect solution for them mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. to roll out. See, yeah. That would be ideal. You know, somebody that's already working with a very large collective of farmers, we, we work on a pilot project with them, we prove it, and then we roll it out across the whole industry and improve the, mm. the whole lot. So that, that would be the ideal scenario um, because it gives us people, you know, again, also during COVID, we normally travel a lot to these locations, but right now we would need to rely on someone that's got boots on the ground, knows their way around the location um, and can essentially act as our front line in an initial deployment so we can get moving. So if, if one of those, something like that came up, we'd be, all over a project in South Africa. <laughs> right, right. So would you say you're building, I mean, there's the one option, of course, that you could build the platform for impact, but, uh, and there's also the other option to build for just a huge global scale. Uh, is that what you are targeting? Absolutely. Look, there's, there's about 2 billion people that would fall into the demographic that we are targeting. Um, mm -hmm. which, which represents about half a billion like families. Um, and really none of them has a solution that is ideally suited for them. We, we are, as a company, we're all about scale. We do very mm -hmm. small projects because that's what we found is the best way, but we are, are looking to create, um, we're looking to become the prevalent solution in a particular geographic or across a commodity in a country. So we're looking at a place like New Guinea to the point where we become like, like M-Pesa is synonymous with money transfers in Kenya. Yeah. We're looking to become yeah. like M-Pesa is on a country by country basis. So we're looking to become that in New Guinea and Ethiopia and then picking selective countries and trying to increase our presence. So we become the farmer solution for those places. There's an interesting oh, thing that happens once, you know, in places that are really um, agriculture dependent societies, um, once the farmers have the solution, it becomes really compelling for everyone else. It, whatever the farmers are using, everyone else basically needs to use it because that's where the primary produce comes from. They're the ones that are spending money. So they're the, the shopkeepers want to be able to take payments from the farmers. Um, the farmers want to be able to pay their taxi driver mm -hmm. or truck driver. They want to be able to pay their doctor or, you know, they want to be able to go to the doctor and then say, okay, collect the money later from the cooperative. Um, and we can facilitate all those things. So we start to see that once the farmers are, have got a solution that works for them, it's quite easy to start to spread it across the whole community. And then it becomes very, very sticky um, and we can do a lot can have a lot mm. more impact on what we services and features we can deliver to the farmers. So in terms of the organizations that either in, initiate projects or pay for the projects or, or at least engage with farmers who are already on the platform, would you say there is a, a particular sector that has a higher affinity towards the platform than others? There's, there's really three different groups that we've identified. Um, the first one is the you know, development organisations, NGOs, that's a very obvious one. We give them transparency. Yes. Um, yes. Second one is the commodity buyers, like, you know, the fair trade, the, the big global coffee buyers. Um, they have, their ROI is really simple and easy. Like they're buying thousands of dollars of produce a year off a farmer 
And the only way they can improve the quality and the reliability of that is they give them a fifty dollar phone. It, it's a very wow. good ROI for a commodity buyer. <laughs> it takes yeah, them a. It often takes them a bit of time for them to get their head around it, but as soon as they do, they go, "Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense." Um, <laughs> and then the third one, and we're just, you know, we we discovered this by accident, but we we realised it's a big one. Is just the bank, the financial institutions and we're talking mm -hmm. the smaller ones generally, um, that they've been trying to provide financial inclusion services for years now, and they're typically coming at it the wrong way. Like you, they're, they're taking uh, mobile banking services and loan plans that were designed for us and trying to scale them down. Because what you really need to do is get the farmer's data first, then give them something that's simple and just does what they need. Because mm -hmm. they don't, you know, farmers don't need mobile banking that deals with account numbers and things. They need, you know, put money into my bank account, take it out of my bank account, uh, pay my school fees. There's one or two things they do and it needs to do this one click. Yes, that's it. Then they'll use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a lot of, like three yeah. banks at the moment we're talking to. So I think, you know, within this year, we'll be rolling out mobile banking services on the platform, which will give us a really big boost in those countries because we're coming from both directions, so to speak. Like we, we do a project with the NGO, but at the same time, farmers who want bank accounts, um, and then one of the Philippines banks got a really good idea with it. They're just going to subsidize the phones a bit. So they act like a, a mobile, a mobile company, um, other people visiting their village immediately ask them what's going on and find out the story. And it's the same thing for the bank. So I think it's like brilliant marketing for the bank. It gets um, financial services out to the farmers, but it also is collecting information for the bank that they would have struggled to get in any other way. Just the, the mm -hmm. fact that farmers earn, you know, every month this farmer brings in coca beans. So, you know, I know I can loan to him now because he's got income and, Right, right, they have to rely right, on a self-declaration right. which could be forged or anything. So. Mm, okay, very interesting. You know, every time I talk to you about Ag Unity, I just find it so fascinating. I mean, it is ingenious. It's simple, but yet covers so many challenging areas, really. Yeah, it's funny that it all happened by accident. You know, if John hadn't have gone to that hackathon and, and we wanted to win a prize, we we wouldn't have been doing it, but, you know. When, <laughs> when something like this comes to you and, and when you see the impact you can have on people, because, you know, tripling a farmer's income or the farm, sorry, I, I said that the wrong way. When the farmer can triple their own income in a Their season, own income. Yes. That's such we, an important differentiation. Yeah. yeah. We don't, we don't do anything. We empower the farmers and they do it themselves. But when they increase their income by that much, that is life changing. Mm -hmm. We've seen whole villages that, you know, used to be dark now lit up with solar lighting. Um, you know, there's more thing. People are planning with their kids. So it's, it's amazing what they'll do and what a small impact in, in their cash income makes. And then the other side, they, we've got better coffee and, and cacao getting into developed markets and people can see where it came from. Oh, that's right. I should tell you this. A really good initiative we're working on in cacao and coffee where... We can, we can now trace the coffee the whole way from the original farmer that handed it over right into the coffee shop. Mm, and that is such a trend that has happened globally now. Yep. So when you, when you buy your morning coffee, you get a QR code on your receipt. You scan that QR code. You see where that coffee has been all the way back to Ethiopia, 
right up to a video of the farmer telling you, you know, where they live and what they do. And then the next thing we want to be able to do is you can tip that farmer and they can receive it and say, thank you in real time. And I think that's just, a wow. beautiful, you know, who, who wouldn't pay a euro or two extra for their morning coffee if you can interact with the person that grew the coffee. Mm, that is awesome. That is awesome. I noted also that you align yourself with the Sustainable Development Goals, uh, specifically SDG 1 and SDG 2. But, I mean, when you think about it, um, ending poverty and food insecurity are just such significant challenges. And really, when you look at the developing world, they just seem like such a insurmountable um, uh, challenges, really. Yeah, look, we, um, we're very particular about I mean we, we very specifically aim to um, play our part in addressing the sustainable development goals uh, particularly you know one and two is is the you know no poverty and, and food security are, are the obvious ones that we address very fundamentally I mean one comment I have on that though is that firstly from everywhere we've seen you can improve farmers' incomes, like lifting people out of poverty. That one can happen. I think we need to work, you know, we as the world need to work more on empowering farmers and, and getting them on the pathway to lifting themselves out of poverty. And fine, fine. I think that is definitely, that is achievable in, in that regard. And then mm. food security, that, what troubles me most is, everywhere in the world and particularly in development nations i think waste is the biggest um the biggest area to focus on like we see so much food that you know even in very underdeveloped countries that just goes to waste because it's not getting to the places where people need it i think if you concentrate you know in, in, in food in developed markets a lot gets wasted but it's for very different reasons um in developing markets because there's no digitization of the supply chain, if you go to a market and there's already too many tomatoes there, you're not going to sell them. If you can get them to a different market that there's a need for tomatoes, then you're going to sell them. And that food doesn't waste. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, this, I think a really, you know, the feed the world in 2050, you know, the, the answer to that's really simple, you know, waste less food. You don't need to produce more. You just need to waste less. Well, one of the things we can enable is the people to hand over their crop to someone else to take it to another market. And because they've got a record of that, you know, it's more likely that they're actually going to get paid in that scenario. Um, mm -hmm. true. So this, this is, that is one thing I think is largely resolvable if, we're, if we concentrated enough on the right specific elements of the problem, I think we can make a big difference of those. And when I say, I mean, we, the world could make a very big difference on both poverty and food security. Yeah, thank you so much, David, for spending some time with us today. I think we can come to the end of today's episode. Um, it has been an incredibly insightful conversation. Thank you for your time once again. I mean, when I met you last year in Greece, I just, I just was blown over by, by what you were doing. And I had promised myself that I was going to make some time to have a longer conversation with you. So thank you once again for um, spending some time with us today.
Oh, thank you, Flo. My pleasure to be on the channel. I really hope it goes well. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate your availability. <laughs> no worries. Thank you, Flo. Good night. All right, then. You can get in touch with David, of course, on LinkedIn. His name is David Davies. And, of course, you're more than welcome to visit the Ag Unity website. That is agunity.com where you will find more information about what they do and who they are and um, of course all their contact details can be found on there as well thank you so much for joining us for today's episode please don't forget to hit the follow button wherever you're listening to this podcast and join us every week on Tuesdays when we release a new episode you can also find us on our website which is foodmakers.africa all of our contacts are on there. I'd love to hear from you if you are an entrepreneur or if you would just like to suggest one to host on the show. Thanks again and cheers for now.